0: Good evening, everybody. Certainly, it is good for us to be back and have this opportunity to worship God in song, uh, to speak in ways that will edify and encourage one another as we speak to one another of these great psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I appreciate so much your presence here tonight, and that I appreciate the, the hearty singing that we've already been involved in, the very thoughtful prayer. I appreciate Josh's kind words uh, concerning uh, me being here with you this week, and uh, it, it's a uh, it's a blessing to me, and I'm, I know that you're stirring me up to love and good works, and I'm prayerful that I'm stirring you to do the same as we find there, as the Hebrew writer told us in Hebrews, Hebrews the 10th chapter, to consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. We're continuing on in our series of lessons here concerning the, his ways in Christ, the Apostle Paul. And last night we looked at Paul's former life, and we looked at the life that he had lived, and the life he had lived in dedication and service and education, uh, he had risen uh, in power as a Jew, being a Jew of Jews, and that really and truly how that that former life was one that was totally against God. It was against Christ. It was against the things that you and I hold most precious and cherished, and yet God still was able to use Saul of Tarsus, who becomes Paul the Apostle. Tonight, we're going to talk about the conversion of Paul, and you, you might be able to tie up this lesson why Paul wasn't converted, and we'll get to that in the middle of the lesson. But the Apostle Paul's conversion is the most documented conversion account within the New Testament. There's there's no one in the New Testament where it says more about that person being converted because it's mentioned to us uh, three times in specifics and alluded to many other times concerning uh, his life and you got your Bibles tonight you can be turning to Acts 9 and 22 and 26 because we will be talking out of all those passages this evening here but I ask the question as we begin tonight why why is there so much said why are there three accounts of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus who we know as Paul the Apostle and in a simple answer here is because there is the account of the narrative of Luke. That's in Acts the 9th chapter. Acts 8 and 9 tell us what happened to bring about Saul, who was this great enemy of the cross, to become the apostle as it's written within the historical account of Luke's writing. Luke being a companion of Paul, nobody would have known this any better than he, to see what what really happened in writing from that that third-person perspective there versus first person. When we get to the 22nd chapter, we have... Now Paul, who, is, who has been living his life, spreading the gospel, planting churches uh, all over the world, the known civilized world, and now he has to defend himself and his faith and his innocence before his own Jewish brethren, before his brothers. And so he gets to stand up and he begins to tell them what happened to him, why this happened, how he changed and why he changed. And looking at it, once again, his former life, and then what happened to change him from someone who was going to a foreign country to literally accost and bring back Christians and to prosecute and persecute and probably even kill them for him now to become a follower of the person of Jesus Christ. And so he gives his defense before his Jewish brethren, of how he became a follower of Jesus. Acts, the 26th chapter, we have him now testifying before kings. And this is exactly what God said, what Jesus said was going to happen to him, that he was going to be a witness unto him, uh, to his own brethren. he would be a witness to the Jews, he would be a witness before kings, and he'll be a witness to the Gentiles. So everything that God had said was going to happen happens to Saul, happens to Paul, and each time we see him having to tell, what happened to me? How did I become a Christian? What changed me? Now, I dare say, if I I went around the room tonight, I don't know all of you very well, but we wouldn't go very far until we found somebody in here who thought at one time in their life, you could never imagine yourself being a Christian. That was never crossed your mind. But now you are. And you know what? I'd like to know how. How did that happen to you? How did you make that change in your life? What happened? What was the process that brought about such a radical change, transformation, for you now to become a follower of Jesus Christ? There are probably people in your life who may ask that same question. You know, How did this happen? Why did you make this change? Why do you believe what you believe? Guess what? That's exactly what happened to Paul. Paul had to tell other people, this is how it happened. This is what happened to me, and this is why it happened to me. And it's so powerful to read through these accounts and to see how he he lays this out. And many times he's defending himself uh, in, in courts of law. And he does so beautifully, masterfully, tactfully, and humbly, and yet so powerfully that he almost persuades godless men to obey the gospel on the spot. I admire the Apostle Paul for that kind of strength and his ability to say those words before men so that they might have the opportunity to hear and likewise to believe just like he had. You know what? Paul had a great love for people. He loved people. He loved every kind of person. He loved people that he, you know, if you'd ask him as a Jew, was he going to love Gentiles and sacrifice for Gentiles and worship with Gentiles? He would have said a thousand times no. And now he goes to the Gentiles, to people who are not Jews, to people who had worshipped pagan idol, pagans, uh, idols and given their lives to all kinds of sins, and yet he loves them and gives his life for them physically and spiritually. Paul loved people. He loved their souls and he loved their lives and the eternal life that was set before them. I appreciate that in the Apostle Paul so, so much. And you know what? If we're a Christian tonight, and it would be my hope and prayer that every person in this room would be a child of God, somebody loved us enough to help us become one. And that's what we see in the life of the Apostle Paul. But you know what? Paul wasn't always a Christian. And we've got to ask ourselves, what happened? You know, why not? And we know he was there at the Stony Sea. We talked about that last night. Certainly Paul was aware of the gospel. Turn to your Bibles to the Acts of 26 chapter. Acts chapter 26. As he's testifying here before kings and governors, he says in verse 9, Indeed I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Paul knew who Jesus was and what he stood for and what he taught. I don't think there's any doubting of that when we read through scripture. And not only, not only is there no doubting of that, we know he was eyewitness to, uh, the lives and the teachings of those who followed Jesus. Turn if you would to Acts the sixth chapter. Acts chapter six. You know, we're going to talk just a few minutes here about the person of Stephen. You know, Stephen's the kind of guy that doesn't get a lot of press within Scripture. We know he's the first Christian martyr, the first man that we see who loses his life for his faith. But I tell you what, Stephen was an extraordinary person. And that Stephen is coming under fire. If you would then in verse 9, then in chapter 6, verse 9, then they arose from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Serenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia disputing with Asia. Now, with Stephen, excuse me. Uh, not disputing with Asia, but disputing <laughs> with Stephen. Uh, there was folks in there from Cilicia. Where was Saul from? Tarsus of Cilicia. These freedmen of this free, this synagogue, they came and they're disputing about Stephen, him preaching. About the person of Jesus, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Verse ten. I tell you what—that's a powerful preacher, isn't it? That couldn't resist his wisdom. That couldn't resist his spirit. They had to induce people to lie, to, to blaspheme against Stephen, and that they—they they said we've heard, we've heard him speaking blasphemies there, with words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came for him, and seized him and brought him to the council. And they also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. Now, brethren, that's all lies. He had never done any of that. But they were so adamant about stopping him, they were willing to to set this, this kangaroo court up to try to stop him from testifying to the cause of Christ. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And you know what? In a certain sense, that was true. But not in the way they were painting. it. But I want you to see what happens next. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. Stephen was a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. He had been appointed by the Jerusalem church to take care of the Hellenistic widows, but yet he was a mighty preacher of the word of God. And he had preached before these men, and among these men, I believe Saul of Tarsus was among them, and they had heard the message, he had disputed with wisdom that could not resist that Jesus was the Christ. And that they had to trump up these charges against him to try to find some way to stop him, to persecute him, and finally to kill him. Because that's exactly what happens after he preaches the next lesson. He preaches one more lesson. He preaches a lesson of history. The history of God's people, but also the history of resisting God. And afterwards, they were so riled up, they chose to kill him. They laid their coats at the feet of Saul. A young man named Saul. And later on, Saul is going to make mention of that very fact that he was there. And it's a point where he's talking to the Lord about the fact that he's going to Jerusalem. And they knew what he had done. He knew The Christians knew what he had done. And the Jews alike. Saul had been the one who had sought there. To deny what the witnesses of Christ had said. There was undeniable evidence for a resurrected Savior. There was undeniable evidence for a resurrected Jesus. And you know what Paul had to do? He had to deny it. So, are you seeing where we're going so far? Number one, he knew who Jesus was. Number two, he had heard the gospel message. Number three, there was undeniable evidence that this Jesus had been raised from the dead and that they had planted some type of cover-up scheme into place there in Matthew, the 28th chapter, and bribed the soldiers and told the disciples to stolen away the body. But brethren, that was just full of holes. Paul had to face, Saul had to face the facts, confronted with the facts. So why in the world, let's stop right here, why in the world did not he believe? He he may have heard Jesus personally. He had seen the power of those who followed Jesus. He saw a man whose face lit up like an angel. The resurrection couldn't be refuted. And these things really weren't disputed. And yet he still, not only is he not a follower, he's the person trying to destroy Christianity. You ever have that question the question today? There may be somebody in your life, somebody that you work with, somebody that's a family member, somebody that's in your home, somebody that you care for deeply and they know who Jesus is and they've heard the message and they've heard it powerfully presented and they've seen the facts and they see that those facts make sense and they've been confronted with them and yet they still don't believe. And you want them to so badly. Do you think God wanted Saul to believe. I know he did. And you know, we can say right here that, hey, we're done with that Saul guy. He's seen Jesus, heard Jesus. He's seen Stephen. He's seen Stephen uh, speaking with the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, He he knows what the facts are concerning the resurrection. You know what? If you're not going to believe that, I have no more time for you. But he didn't do that. Let's look at some things here that may help us about why people don't believe, and maybe why we do believe. This next segment here, if you would, please, why he was not converted. Uh, number one is unbelief. Turn, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul tells us why God did what he did. First Timothy chapter 1, he talks about his past, and he talks about the, the reaction of God to him in his past, and we talked about this a little bit last night. In chapter 1, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Paul said he did it ignorantly in unbelief. Some people might say, today, well, why don't more people believe? And I'm going to throw this out here to you. I think they don't really know what to believe. We live in a time when we have in enormous resources when it comes to being able to access the Word of God. How many of you have a cell phone here tonight? If you got a cell phone, raise your hand if you don't mind raising your hand. Uh, can you get some form of the Bible on your cell phone? Raise your hand. So can you instantaneously look up any verse of the Bible on your cell phone? All right, great. That's fantastic. What about do you own a, a home computer? Okay, can you? Can you get Bible programs on your home computer? Are they hard to operate? Can you you just can't get around? No? No, you can do those things? Great. Okay, you're one up on me. That's good. Uh, uh, You can get that information just like that, can't you? How many of you have a written copy of the Word of God with you tonight? All right. Is it pretty easy to get a hold of a written copy of the Word of God today? Could you get one here free tonight if you needed one? You certainly could. So we've got tons of, at our fingertips, free knowledge about the Word of God. But how many people actually read it? And read it with a humble, objective mind. Paul didn't believe because, you know what? It's the same reason that everybody else doesn't. He said, I'm ignorant. And he said, well, Sam, wait a second now. You got to cover the fact that Paul knew scripture. Yes, he did. But I want you to keep this in mind when you're talking to your friends and your family, your co-workers, and people that you're trying to to convince and convert. Is that a lot of people really just don't know the Word of God, and we take a lot of things for granted when it comes to that. Be careful. Be patient to help them understand what is in the Word. And sometimes you just got to take baby steps. You just got to take little incremental steps with people to get them to learn bits and pieces and get them to come down the road. And sometimes there are things that are going to stand in their way of them coming to faith and coming to knowledge. And that's the second thing on our list here tonight is the fact that that Paul was prideful. Paul had pride. Uh, Do people have a problem with pride today? People have a problem with pride today? Uh, people think a lot of themselves today. People think that they know a lot today. People think that I know better than everybody else. People think that I don't need that God thing anymore. We've got science, okay? Uh, By the way, where did science come from? Answer that one for me. Uh, So, you know, people can be prideful about my knowledge, my self-knowledge, my self-importance. Do you think Paul believed, and I want to just get this out here too, you think Paul believed he really needed to be forgiven by God? you think he believed that? No, I can promise you that he did. You know, there's a guy who came before Jesus Christ. He came before him, we call him John the Baptist. He'd be better called John the Immerser. He comes and he prepares the way. And while he's out there at the Jordan River, everybody went out to be baptized by John except the Pharisees. Luke, the 7th chapter, verse 20 tells us that the Pharisees did not go out to be baptized by John. You know why? It's because they didn't think they needed to be cleansed for the coming of the Redeemer Messiah. Somebody says, what, where are you going with this? Is that if you're ignorant and you're prideful, there's not a whole lot of chance of you obeying God. It's just not going to happen. And you know what? If I'm ignorant and I'm prideful, I'm going to probably be a pretty stubborn guy. Matter of fact, they thought things like, you know, I, I, I tithe and, you know, I fast and I'm, I'm thankful that I'm not like these other men that are out there in Luke the 18th chapter. Uh, excuse me, not, not the 18th chapter. Yeah, 18 verse 11. He said, I think I'm not like this, this man. Remember who that man was, that sinner? There in Luke the 18th chapter. We got this Pharisee standing up and, and praying out loud to everybody. There was a lot of pride during that time. Look at me, I'm so good, I'm so faithful, but I'm, I'm not right. You know what? Paul was in that group. Paul was in this group of prideful people. And it prevented him from coming to the Lord. So we fight against unbelief and pride. Very quickly here, being evil and adulterous. You say, what? Paul was evil and adulterous? Jesus said there in Matthew the 16th chapter, He said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign. They kept asking Jesus for a sign. Now, had Jesus fed the thousands with loaves and fishes? Had he raised the dead? Had he called forth to Lazarus from the tomb? No, no. by the way, there were no no Jews that denied that Lazarus was raised. They were going to kill Lazarus because so many people believed in Jesus because Lazarus had been raised from the dead. That's in John the 12th chapter. Uh, had, Had Jesus caused the blind to see, the lame to walk, and he calls her he had been sick for 18 years with an infirmity that no doctor could cure by simply touching the hem of his garment. How many signs did you have to see? When we get to Acts the second chapter, he said that he had been approved by God by miracles and signs and wonders. And yet the Pharisees kept saying, show us a sign, show us a sign, show us a sign. Prove to us that you are the Messiah. Jesus wasn't a a miracle machine on demand that you put a quarter into and you got a miracle out. This is the category of people that our great Apostle Paul brother was in. An evil generation. And they searched the scriptures. Turning to John the fifth chapter. John chapter five, verse thirty-six. But I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Make reference to our, our previous point. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. But you do not have his word abiding in you. Notice here. Once again, the accusation by Jesus was you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you do not believe. You know what? If they'd had the word, they would have believed. Verse 39, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Brethren, these people searched the word. Looking for their eternal life. But they were looking for the wrong thing. You and I are going to talk to people all the time who may be looking into God's word and tell us many things from God's word. But you know what? They're looking for the wrong thing. And we have to be careful for what we're looking for. You know, I said one time, if a fellow wants to find yellow butterflies, he's going to find yellow butterflies. What that means is whatever you're looking for, that's what you find. If you have personal prejudice, if you have personal pride, if you have your own uh, own value system that you've already stuck into place, when you get to the Word of God, you're going to make that say what you want it to say. And the Apostle Paul here was genuine and devout and zealous in what he believed. But this, this Saul of Tarsus guy who searched those scriptures, but he could not see Jesus within the scriptures. verse forty two it says this he says, "But I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. Jesus' says, brethren did not love God. they may have had knowledge, they may have lived about life, but they did not love the Lord. they loved the Lord they had known who Jesus was. Continuing on there, the same passage, for I have come in my Father's name, you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you receive. Rather, they loved the teachings of men. John also tells us that many believed, but they wouldn't confess their belief because they didn't want to be cast out of the synagogue. Because they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Whose approval do you want? Whose approval do I want? I don't know about you. I like to get approval. I like for people to say, hey, you did a good job. I like people to think, you know, you're a good person. Or you're a good father. You're a good grandfather. You're a good husband. You're, and you're in, 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 in your position. You're not a, a good, good wife or a good friend or a good aunt or a good grandmother. We, we like approval. We want to be right. We want to be right. And, and sometimes we, we, we crave that approval from our peers. We crave that approval from people that we think a lot of. We, we crave that approval from people who, who might be influential and how far that that can go. You know, that's something as a preacher that I have to be careful of because some people, they, they really like to have the approval of the preacher and making sure that the approval of the preacher is not near anywhere near the approval of God in the sense of the value of that. But these people, including our great brother here, he loved the praise of men, the the, the sayings of men, the honor of men more than he loved the Lord. He says, Sam, you're coming down hard on our our great brother Paul tonight. I'm just telling you the truth. This is why he didn't believe. Because of ignorance, because of pride, because of being evil, adulterous, and because of searching the Scriptures the wrong way. He didn't have a love for God, and you know what? He also didn't have a love for men. What's the first and greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your, whole, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. What's the second which is likened to it? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's a new commandment that Jesus gave. A new commandment that I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one, love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples. Brethren, he broke all three. He didn't love God. He thought that he did. He didn't love his neighbor. He thought that he did. He didn't love his brethren, but he thought that he did. And that's why he didn't follow Jesus. But we know this is a story with a tremendous ending, don't we? Because he began to follow Jesus. Turning to Acts the ninth chapter. While you're going over, I'm going to get you to think about a thing here for a second. Maybe I'll kind of get stirred back up here. Any of you ever remember a time when they were choosing up sides to compete in something? You ever been in that situation? They chose up sides maybe to play basketball or dodgeball or chose up for different teams. Can you, you all relate to that? This is yes, this is no. This gets your brain flowing a little bit here. Yeah, that that probably happened. And you know... The guy, we got got team captains, right? We got team captains, and we're gonna make our choices here, and if you're choosing up to play in basketball, who's the first guy you're gonna choose, probably? The tall, the tall guy, alright? Maybe the tall guy, or the guy, the guy who's a good shot, a guy that can dribble good, and then we switch back and forth until we get down to the scrubs. I was always on the scrub end, you know. All right, we get down to the guys who may not be very good basketball players or good dribblers. The only thing I, I could do was be a big body and throw myself into the melee there, and that was okay. Uh, and, you know, you get down to, like, you've got an odd number of folks. We got our team chosen, and there's an odd man out. Now, all the moms are out there going, oh, yeah, yeah, that was my child. <laughs> Feel sorry for that little guy or that little gal. She didn't get chosen. So do I. Being chosen is important. I choose you. You know, we're blessed in Mount Washington. We've had families that chose to adopt a child. And I know you're blessed here at Lakeside for that very very same thing. It is such a marvelous thing to choose another human being to be your Because that is exactly what Almighty God did for us. We are all the chosen, adopted children of God. To be chosen. And the Bible fully teaches us that every person who is a child of God is chosen by God. I'm not teaching you some predestination Calvinism here tonight. I'm not trying in any way, shape, form, or fashion to say that we were pre-chosen, and that there's no, there's no choosing in our salvation. What I'm telling you is that according to Paul in Ephesians, the first chapter, we were chosen in Him, in Christ, to be holy and to do good works. He chose you. And He chose Saul of Tarsus. Does that not seem like an odd choice to you? How is Saul going to bring something to the table for the cause of Jesus? But God knows better, doesn't he? You might be thinking about yourself. Well, how am I going to bring something to the kingdom of God when he chose me, little old me? How am I going to get over my past? We're going to talk about that tomorrow night. How will I get past the things that I have done? You know, Brother Evan Goldens, who is preaching in Anahuac, Texas. Uh, is my son in the faith, and he came to me as a babe in Christ, and I shared this with you the last time that I was here. But, a, but I'm going to tell you tomorrow night some of the things that, that Evan did. He won't mind me sharing those things with you about his past there. But you know what? I promise you that if I went and saw Evan 12 years ago, I would have probably thought that would be the last guy in the world that the Lord needs to choose to do work in the kingdom. And now he's preaching the gospel full time. Paul was seen by God, not only as chosen, but a chosen vessel. That's a container. A container. That's something that holds something, a vessel. And he said, you're going to be a chosen vessel for me. You're going to carry something with you to these places and to these peoples. And, 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 and you're going to share what's inside of you with them. I've chosen you to be this container of my Son and to take Him out into the world. I don't know about you, that sounds kind of special. That I'm a container for Christ. And I'm, I'm carrying Him inside of me out into the world that I'm living in. And it's not just when I'm deliberately trying to evangelize to the people that are around me. It's when I'm, I'm just speaking words. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Speaking to one of the Psalms and hymns and spirituals. We know that passage in Colossians 3 and verse 16. But you know what it means? I'm a container. I'm a vessel. I have this inside of me. God says, you know what? You're going to be a chosen vessel from day one. That's what he told him. And from day one, that's what he's telling you. And that's exactly what happened in the great life of this man. He had to meet the resurrected Lord on the road. Back to chapter 9, 3 through 6. Let's read back there if you would please. It says, as, I journeyed, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the ghost. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. He had to meet the Lord to be converted. But he had to meet the resurrected Lord to be converted. You with me? Brother, I think he had already seen the Lord. But now he sees the resurrected Lord. And there's a difference. Jesus makes these claims about what he is and what he's going to do. And he's going to rise again on the third day. And Paul may have bought into the lie that had been sold to everybody. The disciples had stolen the body away. But now he's on his way, bent towards bringing Christians back to justice. And there, this great light shines around him and a voice speaks to him. And what does he find out on the road? That everything that he believed was wrong. You ever been there and done that? You thought you had it all worked out? You know, I know this is how things really are. And all of a sudden, you see the truth and you realize everything I thought was wrong. That's humbling, isn't it? Or maybe this one thing that I thought was wrong. And then you may begin to look at it and think, wait wait a second now. I'm pretty sure about this. And then you look at it again and say, no, 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 no. I'm wrong. But it was just one thing. It was everything. And that's why I see was trembling and astonished. You know know what? And this is is not going to happen to you and I, but if you're on the way home and and a light shines around you and somebody begins to speak, you're probably going to have a reaction to that. That didn't happen every day back then. It's not happening every day now, obviously. But this happens to him. And not only does it happen to him, he's realizing that the person who to him is the resurrected Jesus of Nazareth who he's kicking against. Not only is he trembling, he's astonished. In Alabama, we call that flabbergasted. That's what we call that. He's astonished at the, who this is. You see, God chose him. He reveals his resurrected son to him. And now he believes. Brethren, if we want to convert people today, first off, if you're teaching the gospel or preaching the gospel or sharing the gospel with somebody else, that person's been chosen to hear the gospel. They are privileged. Never, never doubt that. Number two, what you need to show them is a resurrected son of God in power. Because you know what? One day something's going to happen to all of us. You know what that is? You're going to die without exception unless the Lord Jesus Christ returns, which he could at any moment. But if that does not happen, every human being will die. And there is no solution to death except the resurrected Son of God. That's it. Brethren, there is no Savior, there is no resurrected Messiah in any other faith in the world. We hold the hope of eternity. That's what Paul had to see to believe. And people need to tremble and be astonished at the resurrected, powerful Son of God. Thirdly here, he had to be told what he must do. It wasn't enough to know. There were things he had to do to participate, to receive, to enjoy Everything that comes to the person of Jesus Christ. He would be led by hand into the city of Damascus. And a man named Ananias is going to come to him and tell him what he must do. He's going to tell him what God had in store for him there. He's going to tell him that he's going to be that chosen vessel that's going to be going to the Gentiles. And let's just read that if you will allow me, please. Verse 15. For the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Hmm? Go and tell him he's a chosen vessel. He's going to all these people and tell him all the things. He's going to suffer for my name's sake. A lot of times we, we kind of deal with Christianity like benefits and features. Let me tell you all the good things that are going to happen to you once you become a Christian. Right? Some good things happen to you because you're a Christian. This is yes. Come on. This is yes. Yes, lots of great things have happened to you because you're a Christian. But you also know that sometimes things are not so great. If Apostle Paul is going to become a Christian, guess what he's going to have to do? Everything that he was, everything he had accomplished, he said would become as rubbish. What he thought was important would no longer be important. What he thought was valuable would no longer be valuable. The relationships that he had with his Jewish brethren are about to dissolve. He will go to city after city after city to teach this message, the hope of a resurrected Lord. And they will reject him, cast him out, try to stone him, kill him at many opportunities. He would suffer many things. He would have to go through a lot to be a follower of Christ. But he said, you know what? It was worth it. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, that. It was worth it. It was worth it that he might gain Christ. He might have Christ. It was worth it to lose this. You'll be told what he must do. Ananias came to the Apostle Paul and he told him what he must do. Tony, if you would, Acts, the 22nd chapter. We'll get ready to conclude our thoughts here this evening. I appreciate your kind attention. In verse 14 of Acts twenty two, this is Paul here speaking before his Jewish brethren, giving his defense of the gospel of his life. He said, Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, you should know his will, see the just one, hear the voice of his mouth, for you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. Brethren, this is the witness of the Apostle Paul, that he had seen and heard the resurrected Jesus Christ. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized, and wash away your sins calling upon the name of the Lord. He's going to be told what he's going to do in service to God. But he also is going to be told something else. You need to be cleaned. Cleansed. I've had the privilege of of baptizing several people in my lifetime. I tell you, there's been a few folks that i baptized, they could not wait. To get in the water. Let me in the water. I want in the water. And you know why? Because they want to be clean. They knew they had sinned. They were broken. They had a life. A bad life. A sinful life. And they knew it. Do you think that Saul of Tarsus, who's been praying and fasting for three days, and someone comes to him and he's healed... And he hears these words of how God is commissioning him; that he was ready to get in the water. But and I said, "What are you waiting for? Why tarriest thou?" Is the old King James version. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. You know he's going to get to be made clean and whole and new again. Isn't it nice for things to be new, for things to be pristine, for things to to be reborn? This whole life, can you imagine what's been going through this man's mind? He's been sitting there and going over this and over this and over this for three days. now. He's blind. You ever sit around and just close your eyes for, for 15 minutes and begin to meditate? Okay, give yourself three days of doing it. Then did you realize this whole time you've been wrong and what you've been doing? Can you imagine what had been going through his mind? And then he's told you can get up and you can have that all washed away. But then an ass wasn't begging him. He's just telling them, you know, what you waiting for? Let's get to the water. <clears throat> Let's wash it away. Let's call upon the authority, the name, the power of Jesus Christ to take away everything you have done and make you new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all, all things have passed, all things have become new. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. No one knew that better than the Apostle Paul. Finally here tonight, Saul had to die. He had to die to self. He had to die of the world. And a new person had to be born. I don't know if I shared this with you the last time that I was here. And I will close with an illustration. You know, Paul here did not believe in the most adamant way imaginable. He was a prideful man. He was evil and adulterous as one had sought a sign. He had searched the scriptures in the wrong way. He had failed to love God. He had failed to love man. He had failed to accept that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. But yet all that changed. He was transformed, made into a new person. This is a true story about a little girl that was sick. And she had a rare blood type. She had a brother little brother and this was in a foreign country some doctors had come in they were treating they were treating the families that come in there and they said the only hope we have for your daughter getting well is for her to have some blood because uh, she she is deathly ill for the lack of it and the only possible donor is the little boy the brother and the parents said well okay and there was a language buried there between them and so they went to the little boy, the doctors and nurses, and said, we're going to have to take some of your blood so that your sister can live. And the little boy's eyes got about big around his saucers. He nodded his head, and they went and they laid them on next to each other on the table to take the blood from the boy and then give the blood immediately to the sister. And while he's laying there, he begins crying. He's just weeping. And the doctors and nurses are looking at him and trying to comfort him. And finally they call the parents in there and say, you know, your little, your little child, is un, he's unconsolable. He's inconsolable. We need you to talk to him. And they went over there and they began to talk to him. And the little boy explained to them what he thought. He thought that they were going to take all of his blood to give to his sister. So he was going to die so his sister could live. And yet that little boy lay down there and stuck out his arm. so his sister could be alive. Receive a transfusion. You know, Almighty God has said, we need blood for you to live. And we need the blood of my son. And he won't give a little bit. He'll have to give it all. So that you and everyone else can be reborn. You can live. An old man will die, and a new one will come in his place. That's what the Apostle Paul lived his life upon that great hope. He had been made a new man, and the past was gone. Maybe tonight, you need to be made a new man or a new woman, a new boy or a new girl. The blood of Christ stands ready to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Maybe you need to go and talk to somebody tonight who needs to know this message. We stand ready at this hour to do the same for you that was done long ago. I'll just ask you the same question. If you've been contemplating this here tonight, if you've been contemplating becoming a child of God, what Ananias said to Paul is so appropriate to Saul. What are you waiting for? Why are you waiting? Get up. Be baptized. Call upon the name of the Lord tonight. If you need to respond, why not you do so while we stand and while we sing?